We are treasure hunters. We, we search for all the talent, skills, and intelligence that exist in all children and youth. We believe all children are capable of success, no exceptions. From the sunny palms of Los Angeles, this is Bully Buster, the podcast where Rhonda Orr speaks with guests battling the bully culture. Listen to real stories and find real solutions using Rhonda's Triangle of Triumph, going from victim to survivor to leader. Rhonda is an award-winning executive trainer, columnist, and speaker. She's also served as the founder of two nonprofits addressing child abuse and bullying. Now, here's Rhonda. Welcome back for episode number three. Bully victims may need a new zip code. Today, my guest is Darlene Thompson. Darlene is a special education teacher at the Yavapai County, Arizona Juvenile Detention School. She's been there for eight years, and she has her master's in special education. I met Darlene when she invited me to speak to the students at the detention school about bullying and my Civility Triangle of Triumph program. My first question to the students was, who here was bullied or abused? And every single hand went up. Then it was absolutely no surprise that many students become bully victims, usually because of their abuse from family members or other adults that are in their lives. Darlene further talks with me about the students' backgrounds of things like neglect, abandonment, drug addiction, and insidious abuse and bullying. Also, the things that come to mind are unhealthy relationships because of the lack of positive adult role models. She points out how kids become gang members and why. In fact, I talked with one girl who said she wanted to be an OG. I didn't even know they used original gangster which is what that means anymore. But evidently, in gangs, they still do. And she acknowledges incessant generational cycles of one-upping and pushing others down. However, this show isn't just for moms with daughters that are incarcerated. Bully victims come from all walks of life and socioeconomic upbringing. Darlene shares What happens if parents don't make significant changes and why her students may need to ultimately change zip codes? Her powerful message to parents and students is to learn what great worth each and every child has and how to create a new life full of hope and real change positivity. Thank you, Darlene, for taking your precious time and speaking about changes that are so needed to reduce bully victimhood. Thank you, Rhonda. It's good to hear from you and and meet with you again. Well, you know, I am so excited to talk with you. You are the person who called me in to speak to your students at your Yavapai County Juvenile Detention School. And today our topic is about bully victims. A lot of people don't understand what a bully victim is. It is a person who has been bullied, so then they 
become the bully. So this kind of cyclical environment really targets the most vulnerable, scared children in our society. You were talking about your population. And when I came in and spoke to your students, you are very effective with the group of kids that I deal with. And I would like to just start off by saying that the children, I'm going to call them children that I deal with are eight to 18, rarely in the eight, nine, 10 range, usually 12 to 18. But these are kids that have suffered extreme neglect parents that have chosen drugs over them, emotional bullying, physical bullying, and they don't have a lot of role models to look up to. They kind of get lost in, like you said, a pattern or trend of treating others as they were treated, and it gets them in trouble, and they end up where I work, where they're incarcerated and they continue to learn that behavior unless someone comes in like you came in and start talking to them and having conversations with them about a different way of thinking, about becoming leaders. I really do want to discuss victimhood, my triangle of triumph going from victim to survivor to leader. And starting with victimhood, when I came into the school, I noticed that the students that were there, about 30 of them, mostly boys, but, you know, a population of a fourth or a third of them that were girls, I would ask them, how many of you have been bullied? How many of you have been abused? Bullying and abuse really are, except by definition of the law, they're the same thing, boiling it down to the fact that they are vulnerable and they are intentionally being harmed repeatedly while the bully is trying to gain power over them. In that environment, I was wondering what your take is on why every single child there, they would put their hand up when I would ask, have you ever been bullied or abused? I think this population is an extremely vulnerable group because they don't have caring adults in their life like other children. They don't have parents to help them have self-worth and that are treating them in a, in a way that they should now turn around and treat others. They're learning a behavior that is built around fear and not having power to succeed. And they're, they're pushed down in society because of neglect. A lot of these kids may not have the right clothes or they may not have the hygiene. They may not have the attendance in school and they're going to stand out to other kids as being less than them. And a lot of these kids will suffer and suffer until something changes in their lives. And unfortunately, some of them end up in gangs because that is somewhat of a family and it just continues. It gets worse, actually. Well, when you think about it, when I was a child, I encountered between the ages of three and nine sexual abuse, and then we moved a lot, but we had a facade of the perfect home, the perfect family. And I didn't really understand how I compared to others, but I always felt I was less than because of the bullying at home. And so I think what you're talking about, it just reminds me of a child just being so scared 
that people are going to find out that something's wrong with them because something's wrong at home, but they don't know how to articulate that. And so by joining, you know, a gang, it was for me, I would actually participate in any kind of school event like theater. Even from a young age at age six, I started wanting to be on stage and be with the people that were, it created a family of sorts that I didn't understand and didn't experience. So when they come into your school, do they start to change their behavior because they see the structure and they feel the love that you have for them? And you are, you're so loving, so caring, so giving. Thank you, Rhonda. I would say some of them do. It's a matter of timing with these kids. Some of them are not ready to change. They're still trying to fit in with bad behavior. But there are some that are at a point where they are willing to change. And when we present different things to them or have guest speakers like you come in, I think it can create a spark in them to think differently. But a big portion of them are really not ready to change yet. I think it has to do with the brain and their age, and they're just not able to make good, sound decisions. I still think it just goes back to the home where that's that's the deficit right there. Parents that don't care about them and do abuse them. Alcoholism equals abuse, and so many of these kids suffer in the hands of alcoholic parents and probably suffer abuse as you did, physical abuse, mental, sexual abuse. And so they just take on the role of a victim, kind of. I think they that's where they've always been, kind of powerless. So they get out in society and they just slide right back into that role for some reason. Becoming a bully victim, that makes them feel powerful, even though it's a very empty reality. It's, it's, they will not, they will never, by doing the same pattern of one-upping and pushing someone else down, they will never feel well enough. It doesn't cause them to feel the power that they're really seeking. So what, what do you see happening to them when they, when they're frustrated that their bullying is really not giving them the love and attention that they want, that they seek, that they're trying to get? from their peers, especially in a gang. It's a dead-end road to be a bully. You're you're never going to find happiness. It may give them somewhat of a short-term elevated feeling, but what we have found with these kids is when we help them to succeed for themselves, academic usually, it's a kid at Hope poem, but it says, we are treasure hunters. We, we search for all the talent, skills, and intelligence that exist in all children and youth. We believe all children are capable of success, no exceptions. You know, I think it comes down to false happiness and true happiness, and false happiness is what they gain from bullying, but true happiness is when they actually feel good about themselves. You know, I was thinking about victimhood. That's the first part of our triangle. And when a child is a victim, they first off, 
they don't want to admit that they're a victim. That puts them one down in their eyes by any standard. You know, I am less than if I say I'm a victim, but they don't know. That was always the biggest aha to me when I went into the juvenile detention school is, oh, I have a choice. They might not have actually voiced it, but I saw light bulbs go on. Oh, there's a choice. So what do you offer as far as praise, acknowledgement, rewards? We have some incentives that we give them, but I think the main key is a relationship because so many of these kids do not have one caring adult that's a good example in their lives. They have adults that use them, manipulate them, drop promises for them, neglect them. And so a caring adult is someone who sincerely cares about them and sees them for what they can be and not for what they are or what they've done in the past. And when you can take a role in their lives as a caring adult, it makes all the difference in the world. When you're there every day as a teacher, you can really, really take on that role, they start to trust you because many of these victims don't trust anyone. So it, it takes consistent love and true, genuine concern for their well-being that really helps them break out of that shell and see themselves differently than the, than the bullies in their life have made them see themselves. And we have seen great success. With shame, they've seen shaming. That's how most of their relationships are based. Would you agree? Yes. Fear, shame, and especially the ones that get into the gangs, they feel like they owe that leader respect and they end up doing horrible things because they've been put in a powerless position. And the positive attention they get from the gang, even though they're doing horrible things to get it, that just shows how wanting love, that's such an innate connection that children are born with. And I heard so many kids when I was teaching in there that would say, oh, I don't care about being loved. It was denying a truth so profound and they can never really get away with the fact that everyone wants to belong. And what that means is everyone wants to be loved. In order to belong, they have to feel loved. And even if they have to do horrible things, like become a criminal or join a gang, even so far as taking someone's life, it's survival. They don't know much past survival. I have to have somebody care about me. Otherwise, what am I worth? And they start to see a healthy relationship is being caring with another person. And that person is then caring about them. And so they don't think about their own self as well. Do you have a story about someone where they've actually made such progress that you feel like, oh, they're going to be able to leave here and see that if they don't focus all on their own self and their shame and their horrible life, that they can do the two things that matter the most in life, and that's create healthy relationships and share share their talents maybe. Definitely. We've seen kids leave here and, and end up in college and call us back. And one of them actually wanted to become a minister. And it just was a matter of them 
re-looking at who they are and what they're capable of, many times they needed to change their zip code. A new placement, some of them will be put in a treatment in Phoenix or I know one boy went to Utah, another one went to Kansas. I've seen them go to Washington State. And if they're away long enough, they can make a change. But if they get out, go right back to uncle so-and-so or to dad who's abusing them, they just fall right back into it. They fall right back into drugs to escape. Do you see that happen more than the ability to change a zip code or what's your take on that? We probably do get a lot more recidivism than we'd like. However, we understand that the age they're at right now, are it's not a good decision-making time. So if they mm-hmm. can just get through these years and just get maybe into their 20s, we're really hopeful that the seeds we've planted will grow. Are there certain age groups that seem to blossom more than others? Definitely the girls younger. I think girls do mature faster. So I've seen a lot of the girls right away show progress in the school and when they leave. I just got a call last week from someone who's starting the University of Phoenix and needed her GED certificate. I've heard from other girls that are successful and starting their lives and they're clean and they're not they're staying out of trouble. The boys, I think it takes longer. I think the boys just, it takes longer for them to develop that decision-making skill that keeps them out of trouble. So girls are a little different than boys. The boys all just want to play basketball. And if they don't like someone, they're just going to punch them. (laughs) That's truly why our focus is so intense on girls because they can be friends one second and the next minute they are not. And it's almost always because they feel themselves losing control over being able to one-up and stay one-up on another person. And that's usually their best friend or, you know, that short-time best friend. And when they get back out in the real world, it is all comparatively speaking. That's how they operate. It's more like, oh, well, who, who gets to keep the boyfriend? Not that they really want the boyfriend. I mean, that's what I saw with these two girls, one that was jumping another girl. And I went into your school and I talked with one and then I talked with the other. It was over a boy that was at the detention school. She was tiny and we felt so bad. And we were like, Rhonda, help us. (laughs) The thing was, when I talked to them individually, I noticed a huge change than when I started out talking them together. They were being really tough and like two cats with each other. And as soon as I had them individually, the sweetness came out. One girl talking about she just wanted to be like her dad because he was an original gangster. I didn't even know they used that term anymore. Yeah, they're scared. And so that just really proves to me that they are just trying to be tough to, to survive. When you have the parents come back, have they gone through any type of classes? Have they listened to some speakers themselves? Is there something that will help prepare them to have their child return to them so they won't 
produce the same results? You know what? Those programs are all done outside of our school. It's kind of the the best part about us being in our schools. We don't deal with the parents. <laughs> if you could give one message to the parents, to the girls, what would you say about bully victimhood? I would say to the parents that they have beautiful daughters and sons that deserve the best of them and that they are the biggest influence on their kids. There's no replacing your mother and your father in your life. And so they have the biggest role and opportunity to help those children feel of worth and that any any damage they've done, they need to seek counseling and work those things out because those things need to heal. And what I would say to the children is that they need to find within themselves self-worth and they need to create relationships with caring adults that are actually good examples in their lives. And they need to listen to those adults and they need to act upon the things that they learn and to just keep going forward. That's my message. Darlene, you are amazing. And I'm so, so thankful for (laughs) you, the human being that you are, the care that you have, the time that you devote to these kids. And I know you have a big family of your own and you've done so well. And your tender heart makes a big difference in the lives of these kids, and I thank you very much for being with me today. Thank you, Rhonda. My takeaway for Darlene's most illuminating and inspiring message today is that positive parental and adult role models is the singularly best gift a girl can receive. It gives her a feeling of belonging. We all need that and self-worth, and that can't ever be underestimated. She also talks about ending bullying and bully victims by stopping the cycle of abuse. To begin with, don't forget to look for show notes, which are available at bullybuster.us slash bullyvictims. All one word, bullyvictims. Plus, find our newsletter sign up at bullybuster.us slash newsletter. There's even a little booklet you can get about my triangle of triumph and a lot more. Thanks for listening every Wednesday to Bully Buster. Go to Rhonda's website, bullybuster.us to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. That's also where you'll find information about having Rhonda speak at your event or school. It's all at bullybuster.us.